when we first came here, Miss Mary um, back here, I say Miss Mary for all the kids because that's what you should call her. It's a sign of respect, all right, guys? Miss Mary. Can all the kids say that together? Can you do that with me? On the count of three, we'll say Miss Mary. One, two, three. Miss Mary. Um, and uh, Miss Mary Bennett. And she is a wonderful lady. And she said to me, I have been around Pullman a very long time, and God always, always provides worship leaders. I've seen him go, and I've seen him come, and I've seen him go, and I've seen him come, but God always provides somebody to lead worship. Right now, I'm praying that that person is not me full-time, because I am also supposed to preach the Word of God, and I am also supposed to lead his church and disciple his followers. And so there's just a few roles that I have to fill but I'll be doing this for the next uh, several weeks at the very least um, because we haven't even started the process of searching. So you can be praying with me as we head into that and pray that I have the energy and life to do both of these things. We're going to start a new sermon series today. It's called Discern or Discernment. Um, you see these two, two arrows. You've got one road. This is a, what is this called? It's, what is this metaphor of this picture? A fork in the road. How many of you remember the Muppet Show from the 1970s? Yes, all four of us. Very good. This is definitely culturally relevant right now because none of you know this. There's this scene where Fozzie Bear and Kermit the Frog are riding together in a car headed down the street and they come to the proverbial fork in the road and there is literally a giant fork in the road. At the forks in the roads, we have to do what? Make a decision, right? Left or right? Which way to go? Let me ask you guys this. And kids, I'm asking you this too. Wouldn't it be nice to always know what the right thing to do is? And if you could have like a genie in a bottle, if you could have a crystal ball, if you could have an angel on your shoulder, um, any shoulder angels, anyone? Anybody seen those guys, shoulder angels? Yeah, if you could have one of those sitting and just whispering into your ear all the time, dude, do this, dude, do that, dude, don't do this, go this way, don't go that way, and you listen, you always do the right thing. It would be so amazing to know the right direction to go, the right words to say, at the right moment, and for us men, in the right way. How many of you have ever done that? Tried giving a compliment to somebody, and you're like, you look so great, or whatever, and it somehow turns into an insult to them? You ever had, guys? Guys, come on, let's admit it. Women, how many of you had your guys do that? Yes, yes. Come on, you can admit it. This is a space of truth. It's all right. It's not just what we say, but how we say it, right? And the timing in which we say it. All of these things. It'd be great to know what was right and best in every decision. Every decision you had to make. Big decisions like what job should you take? Which state should you move to? And guys, young guys, single guys, which of all the great single women that are out there that you should marry, right? Wouldn't you like to know that you knew exactly which one? Of, um, how about which career you should pursue? Which degree track you should join? What is the ministry that God has designed for you? What has God made you specifically for? the purpose that you are here to fulfill and it's going to bring fulfillment and life to you and expand his kingdom, wouldn't it be good to just be able to open a little book and look and say, okay, well, there it is. It's nice to know what is right and wrong. Those are the big things. But what about the seemingly small decisions? Like whether or not to press the post button when you write a comment for Facebook. Seemingly small, but probably not sometimes, right? Putting things out there that we wish we hadn't. Or how about... Maybe should I eat this food that's been sitting on the counter? Is it tainted? If I eat it, will I get sick? Wouldn't it be nice to just be able to know? Or possibly, should you wash your hands after going to the bathroom? If the bathroom is super sketchy, right? You've been in one of those bathrooms, you're looking at it, you're going, are my germs worse than those germs? I don't know. Do I touch the 
door? How do I get out of here? Be nice. I mean, small decisions sometimes have big consequences, right? So all these kind of silly small things that I listed out here and some of the big things, I'm sure I've touched on some decision that you've had to make in life. It all kind of comes down to this one idea that there is a great need in our lives as human beings and as Christians, as followers of Christ, for discernment, to know what the right choice is. Because life is a series of choices, isn't it? I mean, that's all life really is. It's one very long series of choices. It starts with our new, we got several new babies this morning. Where, Bridger, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. You're back one and you're, she's not here. Bridger and Rochelle brought their little papoose. There she is in the very, very back. You can look and she is so adorable. Her name is Claire Lou. Clara Lou. Have you guys all met her yet? There she is. Clara Lou. Clara Lou, this is everybody. Everybody, Clara Lou. You can all say, aww. She's walking down. I'm giving you a moment. I mean, we all want to see the baby, right? Who doesn't want to see the baby? Anybody want to see the baby? Can you just, like, do the Lion King thing with her for a second? Is that, like... Oh, Bridger will do the Lion King thing. There you go. There she is. Yes, congratulations, you guys. By the way, that's the future of the church. Maybe not our church, but the future of the church is our children, and so we pray for them regularly. Um, But they start with these decisions in life. When do I eat? When am I hungry? When am I not hungry? When am I going to mess my diaper? And they, they, they're not really processing these things as decisions, but they have decisions, and their body dictates those things. And we grow up, and we begin to have bigger decisions. Do I obey my mom? Do I obey my dad? Do I take my nap when I'm told to take my nap? Right? We start with all of these decisions, and it just keeps going. No matter how hard you try to avoid it, you will always have decisions to make. And that is a part of growing up. And I am so sorry for all of us men out there who just wanted life to remain like it was when we were a little boy with our Tonka trucks. And our greatest decision was, should I dig the hole here or should I dig the hole there? We've got big decisions in life to make, right? But then you add God into the mix. And you have this other creature, this other character. It's not a creature because a creature is created. God is not a creature. This other entity that has a will, that has a desire, that created you for a purpose. And then we start getting into this. And young people, I hear this all the time from college students, What am I supposed to do with my life? What does God want from me? What do I need to do? So we need to learn to discern how to answer that question and how to answer the question about our choices in life, who we should date, what we should purchase, when we should move. Discernment is a big theological word that we use to describe the process that believers use to understand, to determine the right thing to do at any given moment, in any given situation. So this series is going to be all about learning principles that will help us discern God's will for our lives and for this church. It has been said that the one thing that is really missing from the church today is not spiritual fervor, it's not discipleship, but it's discernment. Because people in the church have stopped discerning what is good and right. We have allowed what is bad and wrong into the church. We've allowed it to form our worship. We've allowed it to form our discipleship. And instead of discerning what is good and right and listening to the will of the Lord along the way, we've got it backwards, and we've mixed it up. And so we are going to inject into this church, um, church life, the process of discernment. I'm trying to get my page to turn. There we go. So as children, we all have to learn to know what is right and wrong. Right, guys? I mean, that's like one of the biggest things we have to do. We don't just start knowing. Claire Lou does not know at this moment what is right and wrong. She knows what feels right and what feels wrong. 
and that's about it. And she lets us know. But once they get to be Isaac's age, they need to know what's right from wrong. Right, Isaac? What's good from bad, what's right from wrong. So all the kids out there, let's do a little test. Is it good to kick random strangers in the knee? How many of you say, yes, it's a good idea to kick random strangers? You are not a child, and David, we should talk. It's not good to kick random strangers in the knee. How many of you kids know this? And this is a show of hands. I need the kids to raise their hands. You know this because your mom or dad or a significant other told you that it was wrong to kick somebody in the shin. Okay, good. How many of you know that it was wrong to kick somebody in the shin because you just kind of knew inside your heart that it was the wrong thing to do? Good job, guys. That's called the Holy Spirit speaking to you, right? How many of you know that it was wrong because somebody kicked you in the shin first and you said, this isn't good? Anybody have that experience? I, I, got, I got one hand back there. I want to hear that story later. That's going to be a good story. Knowing right from wrong knows us how, helps us know how to live a godly life. Really, how to treat one another and ourselves and to treat God like God would like us to. To treat other people like they would like us to. It teaches us to love each other well, which is really the whole trick in life. That's what God has sent Jesus to teach us to do. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, yes, but he sent him also to teach us how to live, to teach us how to live a life that pleases God. And in the midst of that, he said, look, this is the baseline of all of this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To know how to do that, to love God well, to love other people well, we need to know discernment because we have to understand right from wrong. If we as a church, young people and less young people, if we as a church, children, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are going to impact our city in a significant way, if we are going to worship God with all of our heart and make his name known, if we are going to bring him glory here on earth, if we are going to take him out into our neighborhoods and love our neighbors and our wives and our children and our husbands and our daughters and our sons and our grandsons. If we're going to love well. We have to know how to discern. Here's how Paul said it in Philippians 1.9. This is my prayer that you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern, to know what is best. In Romans 12, 2, he also said this. He says, don't be conformed to the world. So don't let your living and your loving look like the world's living and loving. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern, again, to know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Paul's prayer that you would know what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, that you would approve the good and disapprove the bad, that you would do the right and skip the wrong, it's all about discernment and understanding God's will. And it's for the better of others to be filled, as he says, with the fruit of righteousness, that your life would be full of good things. They would be full of God things. These things that come through Jesus Christ, the fruit of righteousness, that you would grow more and more to look like him, to sound like him, to live like him, to love like him, to be generous like him, to be merciful like him. All of these things that don't come naturally to us. Mercy does not naturally come to us. You can tell when you look at two children, a brother and a sister, at breakfast time, right? They just got out of bed, their hair is, and they're sitting there, and they're like flicking each other with their spoons and throwing cereal at one another because one said something, and then the other said something, and then we go back and forth. Mercy isn't natural. 
Mercy is a fruit of righteousness, learning right from wrong. And it can grow in him. And we want to glorify God in this. We want others to know who God is. When we get to know God for the first time, the thing that we want to do most naturally is to tell somebody else about him. To tell somebody else about him. But God's not just about us telling one another about him. He wants us to show one another about him. To live in such a way that people look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. There's something different going on in your life. That's glorifying God. That's what I want for you. That your lives and my life would be filled with good things, the fruit of righteousness. And that your life, as you live it, would draw attention to the Lord. And he would be glorified and his name would be Nainode. And it would go out that those people at Pullman Foursquare Church are the weirdest people you'll ever meet. When they get treated poorly, they love in return. When I asked for money because I had this cause... They didn't just give me a few bucks. They were generous because God put it on their heart. And I don't even understand what that means when they say that. God put it on my heart to give this to you. Here it is. There's this overwhelming generosity flowing out of us that mercy, love, and kindness, and justice, and peace would flow like a river out of this church because we have learned to discern what is right and what is wrong and what God has called us to. But sometimes things get in the way of knowing what that is, right? Sometimes things get in the way of us knowing right from wrong. Sometimes things get in the way of us knowing what it is that God is calling us to. There's a scripture that said that there will be a voice whispering in your your ear telling you to go this way and that. And sometimes it seems like maybe we've got cotton in our ears because we don't hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us. There are things that get in the way. I quickly want to talk about just two of those things. And these are things that I think kids are really going to understand this morning. First one is this. When we try to discern the will of the Lord, when we try to discern right from wrong, we come to it with the wrong lenses. I have a pair of glasses on right now. They're very nice. They make me look very smart, right? And uh, very handsome and attractive in every way. You're all agreeing with me, aren't you? I can hear it in your heads. Hmm, should I agree with him or should I not agree with him? This is a moment of decision. These glasses aren't just, you know, to make me look handsome, even though they do. They are here to help me see better right? They're here to help me see clearly. Before, if actually, if I take my glasses off right now, this is sad. My goodness, that's sad. When I was 20, that didn't happen. It's going to take me the next three minutes to focus my eyes so that I can determine Masaro from Caleb. So that I can determine Crystal from David. I, I, seriously, here I can't even, so you're just blobs out there. They help me read. They help me read the words of the Lord. They help me read books. They help me drive at night and in the daytime. These things help me see clearly. I think sometimes when we come to decisions, we come with the wrong set of glasses on. Where we should have the glasses of the Lord on and asking things through the eyes of faith and the eyes of the word of the Lord, when we read our Bible and this lens that helps us determine these things, instead we come with lenses that ask these interesting questions like what would be the easiest way through this decision right what would be the easiest way to go about this i get this person angry with me right now unjustly so what would be the easiest way to deal with that person i could ignore them i could turn and walk away and just let them be gone forever i could approach them and ask them why they're so angry that sounds scary right i could invite them to coffee even scarier i could bless them 
I could like bring them coffee and ask, hey, I feel like we got something going on. What's the easiest choice in that? The easiest choice is clearly to turn and walk away. We ask what is easiest instead of what is the Lord trying to do in this decision? What will bring the least conflict? What will bring the least hurt? How about this one? What does my schedule allow for? Hey, we need children's ministry workers. Well, let me look at my schedule. Let me see if my schedule will support this. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't check and make sure that you don't have time. But instead of asking God, God, are you calling me to go be in our kids' classrooms? We say, schedule. Is there room for me to ask God if there is time for me to do any of this? What will make me the most money? I've got two jobs to choose from. This job's going to require all of my time and all of my energy. I'm going to work 90 hours a week, and my wife will have to take care of the kids full-time. They're going to be basically a single parent, but they're going to have a great income. And once every seven years, we're going to get to go on vacation. And I might see my children grow up. Tons of money. Or do I take this job that has reasonable hours, that pays me a little bit less, but we can still survive and be happy? If we ask what's going to make us the most money... We're going to wind up missing on the blessing of family and life in the church and life in our families and watching our children grow up. This is what God has given us. It's a gift. We ask with the wrong lenses. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. So he's saying to the people in Philippi, hey, you guys have been asking questions and you've been living your life with the wrong lenses on. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What's best for me? What's going to make me look the best? Let's put those glasses on. What's going to make me seem better in other people's eyes? Paul says, don't live life from that perspective. Instead, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. Don't just look out for what's best for you. If you've got an argument with somebody going on, what's best for you is to turn and run away. But maybe what's best for them is to have you come and actually be a real friend. Don't just think about what's best for you, what's easiest, but look also to the interests of others. Having this mind amongst yourselves. I love how he says that because that means like all of us. So kids, kindergartners, first graders, second graders, third graders, babies, grandparents, we should each have this mind among us that we are looking out for the interests of one another and the world around us and not just ourselves. We've been trying to discern what we should do through the wrong lenses. Instead of asking what's better for somebody else and what fits the will of God, we're saying what feels good to me. And what feels good often is the right, that isn't the right thing. We're looking out what's best for me instead of what's best for the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, seek, and I'll use the King James because that's what I learned as a child, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. So the questions that we bring to our discernment often reveal a lot about who we are inside, how mature we are, how grown up we are as a person. When we're able to begin to love others well because we are looking for their interests and their best, then we're truly loving. The second barrier that I kind of thought through for this uh, idea on discernment is this. I think we often can't know what God wants us to do because we have some unknown boundaries in our lives. The biggest one is this. I can't tell me from God. Now you're all going, oh, whatever. I can tell me from God. That's pretty easy. I can tell me from God, and yet we make decisions as though we are God. 
We act as though we were God. We, we do what is best and right for us rather than what is best and right for others. We can't tell our own will from God's will. We can't discern our own desires from the desires of somebody else. Ever been manipulated? Have you ever been badgered or conjoled into make a decision that you didn't want to make? You couldn't act on your own will. You had to act on somebody else's will. It's because you don't have boundaries about who you are and who they are and who God is. When Heidi and I purchased our home here in Pullman, we had this massive stack of paper that came with it. My father-in-law is a real estate attorney, so we have to read these things. We have to make sure, and so we're reading these things and looking through it, and there's this one sheet of paper in the midst of all of this stuff, and it's written in a foreign language. It says, like, the northeast part of the southeast corner and the west-east uh, portion of the 34th parallel, and it just goes on and on, and this, like, this is nonsensical, magical language. It's like, at the end of it, I expected, like, something to appear in front of me when I spoke it, because I just made this magical incantation, and poof, there was a pot of gold or something. I don't know. It was crazy. But what it turned out to be was the boundary lines for our home. It's the document that says, this is what you own. All the rest of that stuff, I'm not sure what it's there for. But this thing tells me, it's like, if this is your piece of property. Here it is. Our first home we bought, we read that thing, and we were showed some property markers, and it turns out we were wrong, and that the property boundaries were all mixed up, and we lost, what was it, 20 feet of land? 20, I can't remember, 20 feet of land by 97 feet wide. We'd been parking on it, and we lost it because we didn't know the boundary lines correctly. But in our new house, so we made sure. We know where this thing's at. There's fences around it. There's edges and corners, and there's sprinkler systems, and it's all listed out in this one legal document. This is your yard. You are responsible for the things in your yard. You are responsible for what happens in your yard. That's why you have insurance. If somebody slips and breaks their toe, your insurance covers it because they were in your yard and it's your responsibility. On the other side of that property line, guess what? That's somebody else's responsibility. That's somebody else's yard. What happens in their yard is their business. What happens in my yard is my business. Boundaries are just like that with us. We each have our own boundaries, our own property lines, our own fences in life, our skin. God has given us these things. Our skin is the very first one. My skin, on this side of my skin, is my yard. On that side of my skin, on your skin, is your yard. Kids, if somebody ever tries to get in your yard and touch you, it's wrong. And there's a boundary that must be drawn, and you need to tell mommy and dad. It's not okay. People try to cross those boundaries all the time, don't they? Skin, God has given us to help us understand our boundary. And what's okay in my yard and what's okay in your yard. God has boundaries too. His own ideas of what's okay in his yard and what's not okay in his yard. And even more than that, what's okay for those he created and what's not okay for those he created. He set some boundaries. In the Old Testament, it was called the law. In the New Testament, it's a new covenant of love with Jesus. It involves mercy and grace, but there are things that need to happen inside the yard for life to go well, like respecting one another, like caring for each other, showing each other's God's love. The things that God allows, he says are okay to happen in my yard, that's called righteousness. And when he says that something is not okay in his yard, we've got a special magical word for it. It's called sin. It's called wrongdoing. Jesus was a master of understanding and recognizing what was going on in his own yard. He knew who he was and who his yard was. Philippians 2 says it like this. He says about Jesus, who was, even though he was informed God, did not consider himself or did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
He wasn't trying to live beyond his boundaries. He wasn't trying to live beyond what God intended him to do and to be in that moment. And instead, he did exactly what God called him to. And in his yard, he emptied himself. He took the form of a sermon, being born in the likeness of men, and found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Sometimes I think we make decisions, but our decisions are not made by us freely. We let other people determine what we're going to do for us. They use their own power. Maybe it's seduction. Maybe it's manipulation. Maybe it's violence. And they use these things to manipulate us to do what they want to do. And we are not making a decision from free will, which is what God has given us, right? From the very beginning, God gave us the will to choose good from evil, right from wrong, and what's okay in our yard and what this yard is going to do with its life. All the way back to the garden, God said, everything is yours. All the fruit of the garden is yours. Everything you can imagine here is yours. Be fruitful and multiply everything but this one tree, which is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the decision I don't want you to have to make. We had free will and we chose it. And ever since, we've been trying to make the decision between good and evil, right and wrong. And with one another, we're constantly badgering and pushing and not driving each other to our best, but we're driving each other to what seems best and right in the moment. To learn to discern God's voice, we must know his voice from all of the others, from our own, and from our, our will from his will, and his will from my neighbor's will, and his will from my children's will, and his will from my wife's will, and his will from every other person in this room, his will from your pastor's will. Because given the opportunity, I will put you into ministry someplace in this church. Just look out. Come talk to me. Five minutes. I'll find a place for you to serve. Right or wrong, we're going to get you serving because we got holes that need to be filled, right? But you're not asking, God, what do you want me to do? You're asking, Pastor, what do you want me to do? It's what discernment is about. It's what discernment is for. So what is all this discernment mess What's the point of it all, right? Let's come back to Philippians 1.9. What is Paul really praying for us? I'm going to read it to you. This is my prayer. And I like how Paul says, this is my prayer, because now I can read it as though it is my prayer as well. This is my prayer for you. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Firstly, Paul says to the Philippians, guess what, guys? You are loving. And the love that you have is not just, it's not just everyday, ordinary love. It's not like the Beatles, all you need is love. It's not, it's not this feeling-based love only. It's not, it's not fleeting love. It's not a love for a cheeseburger or a pizza or for fidget spinners or for Dude Perfect. It's love that is like God's love. In fact, it's not just like God's love. It is God's love in you, flowing through you. It's called agape love, unconditional love, love that cares about someone else so much that you want the very best for them as far as it is possible. That's what love is. Wanting the very best for someone else as far as it is possible. As far as you can make it happen, as far as it depends on you, as the way Jesus said it, as far as you can make it happen, that's love. And that love is living in you. And God makes that love possible, even when it seems impossible. I need to say this to you, that love is not 
what God does, but it is who God is. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. When this kind of love that cares for somebody else so much that you want the very best for them as far as it is possible, as far as you can make it happen, there are things that are out of your control. You cannot change the mental state of another person. You cannot cause somebody else to love you back. But you can want the best for somebody else so greatly that you're willing to do just about anything, to make about any sacrifice that is right and reasonable and godly to make it happen. And when that love is coming out of you, that is God living through you. We talk about that a lot. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Well, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit lives in us? He lives in us so that we can will and act according to his good purposes, so that what comes out of us is not selfishness, is not living through the wrong lenses, is not looking out for my needs or what feels best, but what comes out of us is love. It is God. And Paul says to the Philippians, and I say to you, when I look around this room, I see that that love exists here. That love is in you. And it's awesome. Praise God that that love lives in you. From the oldest to the youngest, I see it in each one of you. But get this, Paul's prayer isn't just that they would have that love, but that that love would grow up. That it would mature. That it would become bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. That love would abound in knowledge and in understanding. That it would know its own boundaries. To know that it can't force somebody else to love back. And what does that even mean? It would know what you can and what you can't give to somebody else. That you would be able to discern in the moment that how do I take this love that God is putting in me and letting out, and how do I release it out of the gates of my boundaries? How do I release that to somebody else in such a way that they get a taste for it and they want more and they want not me, they're not looking for this handsome guy, they're looking for Jesus. That you would abound. It like, makes me think of Tigger. Does that make you think of Tigger, abound, abounding? It's like he, he, he bounds and springs everywhere, but it's because he's abounding in energy and in fun and in playfulness, and he bounds, springs, 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 springs. This is what Paul, this is the imagery Paul is giving us. He's that that love that you have would abound, that it would come springing out of you, and that that understanding would not just be the understanding of love, but God's word, that you would read this to understand it and to know it and begin to base your life not on your sense of what is, what is fun or what is easy or what feels good, but to base and live our lives from a foundation that is unshakable, the word of the Lord. That we would read God's word and understand and it would abound more and more the story of God and God's ways, who God is, and actually be able to tell God's ways and who God is from the ways of the world and my ways and who I am. But that love would abound also in depth of insight and discernment so that quickly when you have a decision to make, you know which way the Lord would lead you. You know which way God would lead you. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Just because you clearly hear what God is calling you to does not mean that the decision is going to be any easier to make. Because the world wants to pull us one way, right? Our desires and our flesh. Even Paul says this, I do not do what I want to do, and I do what I do not want to. I've come to this fork in the road. I've got this choice. I can go over here, and I can 
satisfy the desires of my heart and I could make life easy or do this, or I could go God's way, which I know it might be harder, but it's going to be pleasing to God and it's going to bring his kingdom. And then oftentimes I come to this place and even though I clearly know this is the way God wants to go, I go right instead of left. Does it mean it's going to be easier? But God's desire is that we would learn his story so well that we would hear his voice so clearly that we would begin to be transformed from the inside out. Because just as God is love, it's not what he does, it's who he is, so too does God care more about who we are than what we do. God cares more about who we are than what we do. He cares that we are being transformed from the inside out, that our love is growing and abounding more and more, and that we are living in grace and in mercy toward one another. Because when this happens, when we hear that voice, when that transformation begins to change, what we see cannot be unseen. When we hear God's voice and it says, go this way, we can't unhear his voice saying, go this way. Even if we want to go this way, we can't unhear this. It's like the FedEx truck. You guys, I'm going to ruin this for some of you. The FedEx logo on the side of those trucks, right? If you read, if you look at the FedEx truck, I should have got a logo for you. And the back end of that sucker, there is an arrow in the middle of the EX. It makes an arrow, and it is pointing the wrong direction on one side of the truck. The truck's driving this way, the arrow is pointing that way. Once you see that arrow, you can't unsee it. It is always there. Every time I see the FedEx logo, what do I see? I see the arrow. I see the arrow pointing the wrong direction. And saying the truck's going that way, the arrow's pointing that way. What do I do? When you are transformed inside, when God's word and God's voice is speaking to you so clearly, you can't help but listen. You can't unhear his voice. You can't undo what he speaks to you. And you're given a clearer decision. And you can know which way to go. You can know how to love each other well. You can know what is your responsibility and what is not your responsibility. You can know what is in your yard and what is in somebody else's yard. And you can know what is the will of the Lord, his good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. Last thing I want to say to, say to you guys, and especially to the kids, is to lean into grace. Lean into grace. As I said, that God is more concerned with who you are than what you do. Lean into grace because you are going to make, and I'm, I, I just almost say it today, probably, today you are going to make a wrong decision. You are going to make a decision from the lenses of selfishness. You are going to make a decision from the lenses of what feels good or what feels best or what feels right. And God's going to be going, no, 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 that's not what I was, that's not, no, no, not that way. Over here, guys, come on, go this way. This is the way that you should go. This is the way that's going to bring peace to your family. This is the way that's going to bring a closeness to your relationships. This is the way that's going to bring fulfillment to your life. Oh, I'm going this way. Here's the good news about God. That he is faithful and just to forgive when we blow it. Don't let mistakes of the past, don't let wrong decisions of the past determine your future. But lean into God's grace Every time we come and say, God, today I blew it, and I had this decision to make, I had this direction to go, and I went the opposite direction. Instead of, of trying to understand what my wife said, I blew up and got mad at her. I just acted impulsively, and I got angry with her. 
And that anger wasn't a righteous anger because it didn't come from God. It certainly came from someplace else. It might have been the spicy burrito I ate for lunch, but it came from someplace other than God. It came from someplace other than you, and I need you to forgive me. And as you experience his forgiveness, he's going to lead you to ask for forgiveness from other people. And when you experience that grace, you're going to experience freedom from the failures and the mistakes of your past. And you're going to learn that as you make decisions, if you make the wrong decision, God goes, hey, guess what? I'm following you anyway. You're like, God, which, which school should I go to? Should I go to the one on this coast or that coast? God looks at you and says, listen to my voice. Listen to my word. See what is best. But look, it doesn't matter which decision you make, because guess what? The presence of the Lord is everywhere. and You cannot escape it, and I will go with you, and I will forgive you. And I will bring mercy, and I will bring the very best out of every situation. Because that's what God does. Because that's what love is. Because God's love is a love that wants the very best for you as far as it is possible. As far as he can make it happen in your life, as far as you will allow him to make it happen in your life, that is the desire of God, because that is God's love. So I don't want to just leave it there. I want to make it practical for you guys. What are you going to do with this? And kids and adults alike, I want to ask you with this. If any of you have ever struggled ever with making a decision? I got, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I have. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have done it too, and uh, I did, like, even this week. Struggle with making decisions. We're going to talk about some principles in the next several weeks that will help us make decisions, like learning to listen well. Listening well is a key to discerning God's voice. That's just one of the next the three weeks. But what I want to do this week is ask you to practice something. And this has nothing to do with actually making a decision. It's looking back at the decisions you made. So look back over your day. So at the end of the day, when you're in bed tonight, I just want to ask yourself these two questions. First one's really fun. Where did God like show up? Where did I have a decision to make today? And I heard God say, this is the way you should go. And I walked in it. Where did I follow God today? Like, where did, I mean, maybe it was a moment where like, you looked at somebody else and you just said a kind word and you saw a, their face brighten and you were like, oh wait, man, I didn't recognize that as God's voice, but that was clearly God doing something there. Where did that happen? And begin to just kind of keep track of that. Maybe you want to write it in a journal. Uh, maybe you want to write it on a piece of paper somewhere. and Just think about it, process it in your head. And when you experience those things, I want you to give God a woohoo. Like, thank you, God, that there was these moments I had where I did this. Thank you that you're transforming my heart because I wanted to do that. But the second question is a little less exciting. Where did I face a decision? Where did I face a moment? And I didn't go in the direction that God would have desired me to go. Where did I make a decision based on the spicy burrito? Where did I make a decision based on what felt good? What did I make a decision based on what was easiest? And write that down as well. And at the end of that, say, Lord, forgive me for where I blew it. Forgive me for the decisions I failed to make. Forgive me for not choosing your ways. And he will be faithful to forgive you. And as you do this, what's going to happen is you're going to get better and better at making the right decisions for God. Because those right decisions, the decisions that God would call you to, they feel pretty good at the end of the day. You're like, oh, that was hard, but wow, look what happened. And you're going to want that more and more than the destruction and the pain and the suffering that's caused on the other side, amen?
Amen. So that's my challenge for you this week. Real practical. It's like not an altar call. This is like a daily altar call that I'm calling you to. I mean, feel free to pull out uh, you know, some Hillsong's worship or something. Uh, maybe you want to just put just as I am without one plea on your CD player as you do this, whatever. You can have your own altar call at home. We're not going to have one here today because I want you to do it at home tonight in your bed or the living room someplace. Well, yes. You want to say something? All right. Eliza wants to say something, and then I'm going to pray and close this and send us out because I know the kids are ready to go. Um, thank you for being so patient today, guys. Um, I hope you learned something from the Lord. So, Eliza, what do you have to say? I'm going with the I know God told me part. Oh. Instead of the not going. Okay. okay. Example of following the right decision. Here we yeah. go. So today during the last part of worship, I was very heavy on my heart about Peter denying Christ right before he was crucified. And then going on to this life where God used him so much. And it just kept coming more and more into my spirit, so much of what Jamie was preaching today. Um, but the reason I'm up here right now is that I feel strongly that there is a person or persons here that is struggling with condemnation. Um, and there is no condemnation in Christ. So the specific uh, explanation that I was supposed to say is that uh, when you ask for forgiveness and when you turn away from that thing that you know wasn't pleasing to the Lord and or was sin and you turn to him it's not a process of restoration it is an immediate restoration it doesn't mean that God doesn't work things out in processes in your life but you are free right now when you choose to follow the Lord. It's not like, well, when I feel better or when I've behaved better for a certain amount of time, then I can be happy and free in the Lord. It's right now when you turn to him. Amen. So let's just close this morning in prayer. Um, would you join me? Lord, from my perspective this morning, I felt a little bit disjointed. And the things that I felt like I said may not have connected with anybody and everybody. Lord, I also trust that your words were spoken through mine and that my voice was used for your will and way. And so this morning, God, we just want to trust and rely on you to take the things that we needed to hear this morning and walk away with them. God, I pray that we be prompted and reminded tonight as we go to our beds, to our places of rest, or to a quiet place where we can sit and be with you that we remember to ask these two questions and to see where we followed you and where we didn't follow you. And Lord, for those who maybe are under a sense of condemnation, that they've made a wrong decision or, or do make wrong decisions or have made many wrong decisions in the past and they're under a weight of pressure, of condemnation, they hear a voice pointing at them and saying, look, you blew it, you blew it, you blew it over and over and over again. That, that as they come to you and say, God, I did blow it, that they would experience your freedom they would experience your love, and that they would come to know you as love, as a, a being that wants their very best, as far as it is possible in this life. God, I pray that your mercy would wash over us as we go from this place, that you would bind us together in friendship and relationship, which is the heart of love, is a relationship, and that you would draw us closer to you and to one another as we go from this place to live our lives. And Jesus, for those who are starting school in this next week and getting life going, just pray a special blessing on them, that they would experience your peace and your mercy in the process, that they would hear your voice calling them in the direction that they go as they make decisions this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, I just want to say thank you for everybody. You guys, you, you, I know you want to get up and go, but thank you for being patient and sitting with us today. 
Um, get to know one another. Don't just rush out, but hang out for a little bit in the back and, and talk to one another and get to know each other. Uh, go in the grace of our Lord. Amen.